What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the Sober Plug Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Duffy. Hope you're having a tremendous day. Uh, if you or a loved one needs help, you need help getting into rehab or you need help getting sober one way or another, uh, you can contact my direct line. It is 203-917-8862. Again, that is 203-917-8862. Um, something I want to talk about today is what my rock bottom was and what made me wake up, what made me want to get clean in the first place. And even when I say want to get clean, there's kind of like an asterisk next to it. You know what I mean? Because I think um, most people, when, when I know for myself, when I had an awakening of, I needed to change my behavior, I needed to do something different. It's not even so much that I necessarily wanted to get clean, you know? Um, it was my coping mechanism. And that was the case for the last, you know, decade of my life. Um, so it's not that I necessarily wanted to get clean. I just basically wanted the trouble to stop. I did not want to continue to feel like the way I was feeling. And I mean, basically, man, you know, my life was just extremely unmanageable. Um, I was not the type of user. I was not the type of drug user that could, you know, just go on binges and then get clean for a few weeks and then like start it up again. Like it was not like that for me. It was just completely unmanageable. And it was just so obvious that I had an issue that I just could not ignore it anymore. You know, every single day it felt like there was some, some new bullshit, some new problem that I was having. And, uh, you know, over the course of time, it just stripped everything from me. You know, I was basically, uh, it just got to a place where I was isolated, living in a in a really shitty neighborhood uh, in New York, not New York City, you know, about a, a, a city, maybe an hour north of um, NYC. It was a really, it was a really shitty spot. Um, and I had nobody, you know, was constantly left with my own thoughts, and was constantly reminded of Basically, my best way of thinking landed me in that position. You know, I had a really crappy job, um, making barely anything. And I, I couldn't, um, you know, I was working full time, but I couldn't even afford my, my rent, which I think was like $400 a month. And, um, you know, was just living grimy, bro. It was, it was, uh, it wasn't looking good. You know, I was probably a hundred pounds soaking wet. Didn't even have clothes that, you know, I mean, it was, uh, it was grim, you know, and, and it was probably worse. It was definitely worse emotionally and mentally than it was what it looked like physically. Like if you took a look at me, you knew, you knew for sure I wasn't doing the right thing. And you knew for sure that I was having some issues that was that couldn't be hidden. But I think mentally and emotionally, I was just fucking spent, man. I was just bankrupt. Um, and I knew what it, you know, I knew that getting sober worked. You know what I mean? I had nine months prior uh, sobriety and I was doing okay. You know, I was doing pretty well. And I had some, uh, I had a lot of good things going for me when I was sober, but 
I just got to a place where there were some things going on in my life and I got, um, I got bitter. I got mad at, at other people and other things that really, you know, I was just immature. I was a 19 year old kid and, um, I didn't know how to handle some of these things that life was throwing at me. And to be quite honest with you, it, it was getting high is always the last thing that happens. You know, a relapse happens way before you actually pick up. It starts in your behaviors and your attitude and your way of thinking, you know? And I remember, um, you know, just, just getting the fuckets and not telling people about it, getting bitter and resentful about my situation. Uh, I was in a sober house and, and, uh, I basically got kicked out and I wasn't using, I really wasn't, you know, but I did come up dirty for a drug test. And it was, it was crazy. Cause I, like I said, I really was sober. And, uh, and I said, listen, give me another test. Like I'll, I'll, you know, I'll take one immediately. And, and I did, and I passed and they, and they kept me. That's not the reason why I got kicked out. But after that happened, there definitely was a distrust there. Uh, I felt like I was kind of starting to be singled out and, um, you know, the, the vibe in the house changed after that and in, in the sober house I was living in. And like I said, man, I was just immature. I wasn't, um, I wasn't helping myself. I wasn't being honest with my network. You know what I mean? And I, and I was just over it. I was over the situation. There was other things going on in my life too. That wasn't, that wasn't the only thing that happened. You know, matter of fact, that wasn't like, that wasn't a big thing at all. It was just, you know, it just gave me another reason to kind of like rebel against authority and, and, and push back, you know? And so uh, I got into a place where they basically said, Hey, you got to go, you know, you've been here for a few months and it's time for you to leave. And I did, I, uh, I went and I couch surfed for about a week or two before I could get my own place. And I think I got high, like the first day I was out, the first day I was out of that sober house, Maybe, maybe the second day, but I, I really do think it was the, I think it was the first night. I think it was the exact first night that I was out. I said, um, I'm just going to smoke, you know, I'm just going to smoke weed with some of my friends. <laughs> that's, that's what I did. And then 10 minutes later, um, I was on the phone trying to get heroin. And that's basically how my mind works. You know, when I, when I, that, that is why I don't, use a harm reduction model. I, I, I got clean through rehab and 12 step, you know, cause I can't dabble a little bit. There's just, I've tried it, you know, I've tried just the drinking. I'll just drink with my friends on the weekend. I'll do the weekend warrior thing. None of that shit works for me. You know, well, I have such an addictive personality that when I like something, I dive right in. That's it. And when it comes to substance abuse, um, or I shouldn't even say substance abuse. I just say getting high in general or drinking in general, anything that changes my mindset. Once I start, I don't stop, man. That's it. Like I, I don't stop until basically I pass out or until my resources run out. And even then I'll find something. And so what I didn't know is the reason why the stuff behind it and addiction is, is usually deep rooted for, for, anybody that has issues with it, there are deep rooted reasons for why we do what we do.
And if you can't figure out why that is, you're going to have trouble stopping, you know, because the cravings are going to be there. If you're not talking with people about it, you don't have a network. It's hard, man. It's, it's really difficult. And for people like myself, the harm reduction model doesn't really work either. Because in my mind, it's like, if I'm going to use, if I'm going to get high, I might as well get high doing, doing the thing that I like, you know, I immediately started thinking about the other shit. Now I started with weed, obviously, you know, when I was young, I smoked for the first time when I was nine. And, uh, and by the time I was 11, it was pretty much a daily thing or, or as close to it as possible. So I played that out, you know, by the time I was 15, 16 years old, I was ready to move on to other things. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't doing the same thing that it originally had done for me. And that's how my mind works. You know, it's, it's a progression. And I know that that is the case for a lot of people. Not everybody. Some people can do harm reduction. And that's cool. You know, like that there's no problem. Recovery looks different for everybody. This is just my story, you know? So basically, you know, by the time I got out of that sober house, man, um, yeah, I tried the weed thing and it lasted about 10 minutes and, uh, and I had a connect. It was actually one of my boys couldn't find the heroin. So I, I had him drop, well, I had him drop me off something else that was close to it. And so that was it, you know, that started the whole process over again. And I, and I tell you what, man, I, I started getting high again for like another, what, four months, four or five months. It wasn't long until it just became so unmanageable where I had, I had nothing. I had nothing. I couldn't even, uh, I couldn't afford where I was living. Nobody wanted to chill with me and I don't blame them. Um, I did not have a good relationship with my family because my family's also in recovery or a lot of them. And I mean, what is there to say? What is there to say to a family member when you know that they aren't doing the right thing and they are on a dangerous path and they're living on their own? There is nothing that you could really do or say. It's like the big elephant in the room. You can't, you can't just go out and pretend that everything is cool. You know, you, there is no going to dinner and, um, you know, talking about how the weekend was or how work was. That that shit doesn't exist because it it just consumes. It just consumed me. You know, so my family knew what was good. Uh, I'm not a type of person where I can hide what's going on when I'm using everyone knows there's no way I can hide it. My, my communication changes. Um, I, I don't just mean, I don't just mean by voice. I mean, like I don't answer people. I disappear. Um, I'm often doing my thing. And then when you do see me and you talk to me in person, I ain't hiding it either. There is nothing, there is nothing functional about the way that I use. So towards the end, um, you know, I, I basically was penniless or close to it as possible. I basically had 15 bucks left to my name and this was the last day that I got high. The last day that I got high, I had $15 to my name and I was trying to figure out how I was going to use. I was going to score I'm like, fuck, man, I got $15. Like I better come up with something. You know what I mean? So 
I was thinking about my what hustle I was going to do. Like, what you know, how am I going to figure this out? What do I got to do? And um, I was walking down the street, and all I hear is Connor. And I look, and you know, a car drove by, but I didn't know who it was. I didn't get a glimpse of it. Didn't think anything of it. I'm thinking, shit, I hope I didn't know that person money or something like that, you know? <laughs> and um, so I get a phone call about a minute or two later. And I didn't know the number. I didn't recognize it. I picked up. He says, yo, Connor. He says, what's going on, man? It's it's such and such from from rehab. And it was this kid on the line that I was in rehab with about, I don't know, five months earlier and he says yo what, what's going on man how are you doing he says yo i just saw you work i just saw you walking walking down the street he says that was you right i said yeah that was me he says how you doing i said i'm doing i'm doing terrible bro i'm living like shit i'm not doing good at all and i was basically trying to give him a warning like yo you don't even want to come see me you know what i mean like I, i'm not i'm not the type of person that you want to be chilling with right now because i figured he was sober and he says, okay. He says, all right, yo. He's like, yo, me too. I'm living like shit too. <laughs> and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I said, I'm trying to figure out how to get high, man. I, I don't got too much bread. And I was thinking about what I was going to do to to come up, you know, to, to get some money for the day. And he says, well, yo, he says, yo, I'm picking up and I'm picking up in a little bit. He says, you want to meet up? I said, yeah, sure. So I met up with him. We went and we uh, and we got some heroin and um, and we're walking back to his place. And he says to me, um, he says, "Yo, you," he says, "You ever you ever shot it? You ever use the needle?" And I said, "Nah, man." I said, "I never I never used the needle before." And he said, he said, "Damn, bro," he says, "You don't know what you're missing." And I said, "Yeah," I said, "Yeah, I guess so." He says you want. He says you want to go. He says you gotta. You gotta let me shoot you up for the first time. And I was like, "Fuck, man!" You know, like in my head, I was like, <sighs> "Like I was just too deep into it at this point." You know what I'm saying? That I, I there was no way. I knew that if there was a way for me to get higher, and um, I knew I knew I wasn't strong enough to kind of deny it. You know. I also knew on the flip side that once I started down this road that you don't go back. You know what I mean? Like once you start going there, that's it. You're going down that road for the rest of the time. Once you go to the needle, that's pretty much it. And I knew that. And I'm like, fuck, man. You know, I'm like, well, I'm thinking to myself, well, I guess, I guess this is, uh, this is the jumping off point, you know? And I said, all right. I said, yeah, no doubt. I said, well, I said, do you have a, a, an extra needle? I'm not using a dirty needle. He says, no, nah, man, I, I'll open up a new one right in front of you. He says, I got, I got new ones. And I was like, all right. And that was kind of like my last, like, you, you know, uh, roadblock to not, to not go down that path. Cause I kind of knew what that meant. And so, uh, you know, we went back to his house and, and that was it. I was off to the races and, and, he shot me up. I remember exactly what that was like. And after I left his house, I was walking home. It was a really shitty day outside. It was gloomy. 
It was rainy. And I was walking home. And, um, you know, I really was just thinking about my life, to be quite honest with you. I was just thinking about the position I was in and how the hell I got there. And uh, it wasn't looking good. Like something, I can't tell you really what it was, but something like connected in my brain. That was like, I was thinking to myself, yo, you're, you're living in a really fucked up space. Like your life is completely unmanageable. You know, like, how are you living like this? I had nobody. Uh, I felt extremely isolated and alone and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, listen, everything, you know, had no money to my name and, um, I just was not in a good mental space. I did not want to, I did not want to live, you know, and I was desperate at the same time. I felt like I couldn't stop using, but I also didn't know how I was going to continue going the way I was. I, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere, you know? And uh, it was a huge wake up call. I was 20, I couldn't even buy a legal drink yet. I couldn't even buy beer at the store. Yet I felt like, I felt like I was like a 50 year old homeless man, you know? And it was a dark space to be in. And I didn't think that it could get better, but I also knew I couldn't contribute to it, like getting worse anymore. I was like, man, I got to do something different. Like this is, this is fucking crazy. I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be like this. You know what I mean? I wasn't supposed to, I wasn't raised this way. My mom did a really good job raising me as a kid and I was not supposed to be um, in this position in life. And so what did I do? I called my mom. <laughs> I called my mom and I said, um, I said, mom, I think I need to, um, you know, I think I need to do something different. I, I can't, I can't live here anymore. And she said, well, she said, you can, you can live with me. But, uh, but the only way you're going to do that is if you get clean. There's no way I can, you can live here if you're, if you're continuing to get high. And I said, okay. And I kind of knew that that was coming. You know what I mean? And she said, you're going to have to go to meetings every day. And if you don't, you can't live here. And she was living in a, in a little studio in Connecticut. Um, and it wasn't from where I, where I grew up, you know? So it, it actually turned out to be a really perfect situation, even though I didn't know it at the time, I thought my life was over. You know what I mean? I also only plan on getting clean for like a little bit. I didn't think that I could actually commit to getting clean for any long period of time, but I was also desperate to try something different because I just could not obviously continue going the way I was. And, uh, and I just said, fuck it, man, like this way isn't working. So why not try something else? Why not try something different? I can always go back to this way of living. If I really wanted to, who the hell would want to, right? But if I really wanted to, if I couldn't stand sobriety and I, and I didn't 
like where my life was at, I could always go back to this. It's funny, the dialogue that we have in our heads, because we will, when you have fear of change, and everybody does, because one of our core needs as human beings, one of our six needs is stability. We need, we need structure. We need stability. We need structure. So if your, your structure is fucked up, but you are comfortable in it because you know what to expect, it is still hard to make those changes. And that's why things usually have to get so bad in addiction or alcoholism or any, any type of, uh, any type of dependency. Because once you think something works for you, even when stuff gets unmanageable, it takes a mountain of evidence to prove that something else needs to happen. Because you get comfortable. Even in the craziness, you get comfortable in it. So I was at that point. Now, I didn't think I could get sober for any serious length of time. Matter of fact, I only gave myself, I was like, Hmm. If I can get, if I can get a few days together and figure something else out, I'll fuck it. I'll try it. And uh, so I did, I moved in with my mom. And when I moved out, a part of the reason why I moved out too, if I'm being fully honest, is that I got money back. I, I knew I was getting money back from my, um, from my tenant, from the person I was, I was renting from. And when I went to him, I went home after I was walking home and I talked to my mom and she said that I could, I could move in. I knew that I was going to be getting that deposit money back. And, um, I, when I went up to him, I said, Hey, you know, if I move out of here, I, I told him, I said, I'm moving out of here. You know, I can't, um, I can't really live here anymore. I can't afford it. And I'm going to move back in with my mom. And he was happy as hell because <laughs> I was a really fucked up. Uh, obviously I was not a person that you really wanted around and I wasn't responsible and, um, wasn't following the rules and, and stuff where I was living. And, and so he was delighted to, to see me go. And I said, Hey, you know, I was going to stay till the end of the month because I was already paid off to the end of the month. But what if I leave? What if I leave in the middle of uh, April? It was April at the time because my sobriety date was uh, my sobriety date's the 14th. And so it was the 13th. I said, hey, if I leave in the middle of April, can I can I get some some of my rent back too, on top of my deposit? And my angle was I was trying to get more money so I can go and get high again. And he said, yeah, he says, I'll give you your deposit. And if you leave within the next day or two, I'll give you half of April, April's rent back. And, uh, and that was all I needed to hear. Yeah. And he, he was, it was a win-win. He was happy. I was happy. But like I said, if I'm being fully honest, I did not have a lot of confidence that I can get sober for a long time. I really just wanted to get money so I can get high again. And so when I went back to moving with my mom, I started going through withdrawals and, uh, and I had, I had like $700 in my, in my pocket the whole time and going through those withdrawals at home while my mom was at work and I was alone in the house 
with $700 in my pocket, it's an absolute miracle that I did not end up using. It doesn't even make sense to me, like now that I think about it. I have no idea how that happened. And it's not because I'm something special. Like I really, like, you know what I'm saying? It has nothing to do with me at all. I really think that something higher was looking out for me and something bigger was happening that I didn't even recognize or know what was what was going on. And of course, I was going to meetings, which was huge. And that created the foundation for me to get clean. But I'm going to be honest, man. I, I I have no I have no clue how I got through those withdrawals. I mean, the first week I, I didn't sleep for four days straight. No exaggeration. I was up for four days straight. Zero sleep. None. When my mom was at work, I was basically just fiddling around this little studio, um, going through it, going through the withdrawals. Uh, obviously, I didn't have a car or anything like that. And, and you know, watching Sports Center and literally just being faced with my life, like with where I was at. I was a 20-year-old scared kid that was really beat up. And, uh, and my hometown really wasn't too far. Like I really, I could have, I could have used like 100%. Like, I just don't know how it didn't happen. And like I said, obviously the consistency of going to meetings every day, like that was the start of it. Right. I, I probably went to in my first 90 days in AA, there's, there's like, there's always a, um, there's a recommendation, right? It's, it's a suggestion. It's not like you have to do it. Like there's not rules that you like have to do, you know, but there's always a recommendation that you do 90 meetings in 90 days. And it's very important. It's to, it's to build the, the momentum of getting clean and giving yourself a time frame of commitment, committing to the process and being able to actually get better and to be able to start to, um, like clear up the clouded mind, right? Because when, when you're drinking for that long or you're using drugs for that long, it's foggy upstairs, bro. Your mind is a little, is all messed up and over the place when you're first trying to get clean, you know? So committing to the process and going to a meeting every day, to one meeting a day, sure, it sounds like a lot, but it's really not. To save your life, you go to a free meeting uh, where you have coffee and cookies and you talk with people about shit, about getting better. It's nothing. I've invested way worse for a lot less. So I probably went anyway. In the first 90 days, I probably went to like, I don't know, over 100. I probably went to over 100 meetings in the first 90 days. And I was just doing it. You know what I mean? And my life got better. And my mom was amazing. You know, she, she took me to a lot of my meetings. Um, eventually I built some trust and she, you know, after a little bit of time, she gave, she'd give me the car every once in a while and go and do some things. And, and, you know, I started, I, I got a job like within the first week or two of, of living with her and, you know, things just started getting better, like little by little. It's not that things got uh, uh, miraculously better overnight. It took time, but like slowly but surely, I started to be become like grateful, and I used to, and I'd have like acceptance, and I was forming relationships with people who were clean too, 
And so I had people I could bullshit with, you know, some people, most people were older, right? Like AA is, is generally um, an older crowd, but in some places there are, there are, if you're in a city and stuff like that, or you're near a well-populated area, you won't have a problem finding people your age. But, um, you know, there were a few kids that were, that were my age, a little bit older and I was able to kick it with them and kind of talk with what I was going through and, and just being able to uh, feel like I wasn't so isolated or going through something that was unique because there was nothing unique about my situation. The, the truth is whether you're an alcoholic, an addict, uh, whatever it is that you're going through, male, female, doesn't matter what age, um, everyone has been in the spot that you may be in, you know, one way or another, there's going to be someone that is just like you in your situation. And it's important to know that it's important to have those types of people in your life. Because if it wasn't for if if I didn't have the support of people, I would have been fucked. There would have been no way. Because my way of thinking always landed me in trouble. I really needed guidance and I really needed assistance to have a different perspective on life. Because my perspective sucked, you know, I was not living good by any means. And I really needed to work on my mentality and focusing on the right things and having a transformation, you know, so that's what recovery really is about. It's about having a transformation of who you are, the old you and becoming a new person. It's what it takes because you cannot operate on the same failed system if you plan on staying clean you cannot still operate on the way that you were operating on when you were using drugs not if you want to get sober not if you really want to have a good life because our perspective is just totally out of whack we're, we're people that are addicted to drugs and drinking all the time man they're you're living out of ego because it's always about what it is that you want, what you need. It's never about contributing or, or um, serving others, you know, or living with purpose or, um, you know, the list just goes on and on. A lot of things that I learned in recovery, I still implement today. I implement it every day because recovery really is an everyday process. It's not like you hear one thing and it's like, oh, <laughs> That's it. And I, you know, it's not like you hear one specific thing in a meeting and your life changes forever. You know, it's really a daily thing. That's why you need to be constantly talking with people. You got to have good people in your life. You got to be living among spiritual principles where you're continuously working on yourself. That's what it's about. And that's so you don't fall back into old patterns and old behaviors because that's the shit that will take you out. You know, being able to let go of certain things, not being so angry or or uh, or um, resentful or living with regret or guilt and shame. There's a lot of reasons why people use drugs and, and drink or have other addictions, you know, whether it's porn, whether it's gambling, whether it is uh, sex, whether it's food. This is across the board. There are reasons for all that. And so if we really want to change, we've got to live 
among the, a different set of rules and, and gain different perspective and start that transformation of who we are, start to feel good, start to feel like we are a, a person worthy of love and respect. Because whoever's listening to this right now, every you are a person worthy of love and respect. But until you start living like that, you won't believe it and you won't buy in. And luckily for us, it takes a rock bottom to actually come to this conclusion that, holy shit, I need to change. I need to change who I am because I'm living, I'm living terribly and I don't want to live like this anymore. So I always say what, what you might think is a liability, it can actually become a huge asset. At one point, I thought the, the way that I was living my, you know, my addiction and, and rock bottom and all the places that it led me to, I thought this was a huge liability. You know, it turned into my greatest asset. It turned into the biggest gift for me. Now, that's my story. You know, not everybody wants to work in the field or or it's not everybody's purpose to impact others. But, you know, that's mine. And even if that's not something you want to do with your life, you can still utilize what you've learned in recovery and getting and from being in the dirt, being in the mud, being in that grim space, that rock bottom, you can learn a lot of shit from, from that. Being in that space is, can be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Because tough people don't become tough by going through life in an easy way. It doesn't happen. The toughest people in the world have been through the heaviest shit. Even if it's self-inflicted. You know, so that's my, uh, that's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. And that's what rock bottom was for me. Um, and so, uh, listen, you know, if you need help and you need to reach out to somebody, like I said, do not hesitate, reach out. Um, my number is 203-917-8862. Again, that is 203-917-8862. Hope everybody has a great day and I will see you guys on the next one.